0: for exclusive podcasts and more, sign up at patreon.com slash partners in crime media.
1: This week's Law & Order Marathon winner is Juvie Lucenia of Wahiawa, Hawaii. Juvie will get a marathon decal showing she watched 26.2 hours of her favorite crime show. To be next week's winner, sign up at lawandorderpodcast.com.
2: I'm Kevin Flynn with Rebecca Lavoie and Margot Donahue. And these are their stories.
0: You think you know who did it, but you don't know who did it. Lie in order, lie in order, lie in order. It's no ordinary police procedural, baby. It's the FNOG of police procedures, baby. Lie
1: order, lie order, lie order, lie in order. These are their stories,
0: these are their stories.
2: Welcome to These Are Their Stories, the podcast about network TV's most enduring crime franchise and the real-life cases that inspired their shows. I'm Kevin Flynn. Each podcast, we break down an episode from either Criminal Intent, SVU, or Original Recipe, and today we're looking at the Mothership Law & Order, Season 10, Episode 1,
0: Gun Show. This isn't a trial. This is gun control by other means. And they can sell guns on the internet talking about control is a joke. So this is your answer. Putting gun makers in jail. I'd like to start by putting raw firearms out of business. Joining me to do just
2: that is true crime author and host of Crime Writers On and Netflix's You Can't Make This Up podcasts, Rebecca Lavoie. Hello, Rebecca. Hello, Kevin. And rounding out our panel is our returning guest from Book versus Movie and the Dorking Out podcasts. It's Margot Donahue. Hi, Margot. Hi, everyone. I'm so excited to be here. Third time at bat. Yeah. Uh, You have a new book coming out this October. It's called Filmed in Brooklyn. What is that about?
1: (laughs) I spent over two years talking about movies that were filmed in Brooklyn. I researched all the places, everything from silent movies up to the Marvel Universe, over 250 movies. Some of them great, some of them not so good at all, but it was a ton of fun and I'm really proud of it. It came out great.
2: So uh, there were Marvel movies in Brooklyn?
1: Yeah, a lot of the Spider-Men, you will find Ah, them there.
2: The Spider-Men, I like that. That's what (laughs) I (laughs) say. Yes.
1: (laughs) But not Captain America, funnily enough, even though he's just a boy from Brooklyn.
2: So one of the reasons Law & Order was shot in New York rather than a Hollywood version of New York like NYPD Blue was is that, well, it just fits. The light is different. The natural sound is different. It actually gets cold. Are these things that attract... Movie makers as well. More than one person said there's a juiciness to New York. Like even just Mm -hmm. somebody washing their car
1: just looks different and feels different here in New York. And we have everything from the beach, honestly, to just about the mountains and every kind of city block you need. And it's just it's its own thing. It's a it's a living organism. I love this city. Plus, they smell
3: of urine in the summer. Oh, <laughs> <Mwah>. <laughs> that's your thing,
2: <laughs> Margot. Remind us of all the franchises. Which two cops are your favorite detective team? Favorite law and order detective
1: team. Oh, I'm so excited about today. It's Briscoe and Green, man. Yeah, mm. it is. It's yeah, it is. Never better. This is this is the stuff. This is the sauce. This goes right to the pleasure center in my brain, and it lets me <laughs> hang out. Same, same. Except topic is side. Yes.
3: This is okay. my dream yeah, yeah, yeah. team. This episode is my dream team. Topic aside. I agree. Uh, I get it. Yes.
2: It's your TV vape. I got <laughs> yes, it. Right. It is. It is. <laughs> <laughs> and who's your favorite prosecutorial team? Favorite
4: law and order district attorney prosecutorial team.
1: It's got to be Abby. She yeah. is the meanest. Yeah. She's the snarliest. She <laughs> looks great in anything, anytime. Mm-hmm. Puts up with sexual harassment and tosses it aside like a champ, like it's a a superpower. I just, I love her. I think she's great.
3: I love her so much that I watch stupid Rosolian Isles on reruns. (laughs) Oh, are you kidding me? Stupid channel it's on because, like, I, I, I just pretend it's Abby Carmichael playing a Boston cop. Love amazing,
1: underrated. I say totally.
2: Yeah, I still think that she likes to fight with hobos on the (laughs) weekend. (laughs) All right, let's take a look at the first half of this episode, Law & Order Season 10, Episode 1, Gun Show. Just a note, we're going to be talking about fictional detectives investigating a fictional mass shooting of fictional people. But if you still find that especially heinous, you might want to consider another one of our episodes. Well, it's a lovely day in Central Park for Frisbee, topless sunbathing, and becoming a statistic in the country's losing war against gun violence. Lenny Briscoe and his new partner, Ed Green, learned the 15 women killed were all pre-med students at Hudson.
0: This guy, what did he look like?
4: He was white. I barely saw him. I kept my head down. I played dead. He walked right past me, shooting and muttering stuff.
5: Muttering what?
4: Damn bitches. He
1: just kept saying that. Damn bitches.
2: The victims had gathered in the park as part of a gender issues orientation. The detectives find a knapsack with a weapon and ammunition. The lab says the shooter modified the Ralph 9 to be a fully automatic weapon. He filed the inside of the barrel, but they are not able to recover the serial number. Briscoe and Green learned the gun was sold to Lee Coates, who was actually in Hudson Presbyterian at the time it was delivered. Somebody with her credit card knew she'd be in the hospital for a long time purse had been left behind in the ambulance and turned in by EMT Dennis Trope, who went out on disability leave. The detectives go with Mrs. Trope to give Dennis his disability check. Green chases him down and shoves a gun in his face, demanding a confession. They bring the bloodied suspect back to the station. Green appeals to Trope's misogyny, brought on by his hate of his mother. Before his attorney can arrive, Trope says he shot the female pre-med students because they got preferential treatment in admissions, and Hudson told him he should instead apply to nursing school. Mm. Uh, so we start with a guy and a girl just want to free the nipple, <laughs>
0: <laughs> flapping in the wind or anything. We're lying on our stomachs. Look to us like you were lying on her stomach. That was totally innocent. Hey, look, pal. And you see, I don't know how you could do it in the first place, but you were, and it's going to cost you seventy-five bucks.
3: <laughs> <laughs> Which you can do in Central Park, by the way.
2: Uh, not if you're on your stomach.
3: Well, that's yeah. true.
2: There is a lot of gender talk in this episode, but I just want to point out that she was topless and he got the ticket.
3: I would like to also point out that gender is a construct. <laughs> okay. <laughs> it's arbitrary. No, you are correct, though, that he he did get the ticket. Yes.
2: Right. Yeah, Margot, I got your next book. It's called Topless in Brooklyn.
1: <laughs> Subtitle, free the nips. That's
4: it.
2: <laughs> Boy, they get a vague sketch of the suspect.
0: Is there a sketch? Yeah, but it looks like half the people in this
2: room. And Green and Van Buren are like, which half? <laughs> you consider
0: that half? That's
2: half. Okay. <laughs>
3: Not the bald half. Yeah, (laughs) five-eighths. Okay, yeah.
2: (laughs) (laughs) So all these pre-med students are from Hudson. We are Hudson,
5: where the bad guys go to school.
3: Surprise. Mm -hmm. Surprise. The most prestigious school that has every kind of grad school ever. (laughs) It's all over New York. But they have an art school. They have a law school. They have their
2: teaching hospital. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I just have to say, it is a terrible tragedy that they had to move the location of the orientation because people were playing Frisbee. Yes. <laughs> apparently. Yeah. Look, If you yeah. want to take a bunch of people out, take them out. <laughs> Assholes with their Frisbee <laughs> taking up all the space. <laughs> I got it. I got it. <laughs> if a dog can catch it, it's not really a sport.
3: Uh, well... <laughs> I bet Hudson has the like world champion ultimate frisbee team because they are the best at everything. They're so prestigious. There's varsity and hacky sack
4: at Hudson.
2: (laughs) They also hold the uh, world record for saying, do you know who my father is? Yes, exactly. (laughs) So they attempt to trace the weapon and they find a guy who sells guns out of his basement over the internet and... While they're talking to him, you realize there's a ton of children's drawings (laughs) all over the walls. Yes. And loud children noises.
3: And I'm like, is he in the basement of a daycare? That's what I thought, too.
0: (laughs) (laughs) That's a serial number? Oh. Look, guys, technically you're out of your jurisdiction. I don't have to talk to you.
1: We babysit your gun and your kids. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> Not acknowledged in any
2: way. But how desperate for daycare do you have to be to put your kid in a house where someone's selling rifles in the basement and shipping them by UPS?
3: That's America. <laughs>
2: yes, That's America. America.
3: Child care is expensive, <laughs> and, and we it's... don't give a shit about keeping our kids away from guns.
1: If it's on the way to work... <laughs> It's my place.
2: By the way, I do not want to be around for show and tell at that daycare.
1: Look what I found.
2: (laughs) Put on your headphones,
1: kids.
2: (laughs) Uh, So we get to see somebody before they were famous.
0: Mm -hmm. Before they were
2: famous. Can you tell us who's playing that eyewitness who organized the meeting?
0: We had to walk across the park before we found someplace quiet. Uh, we'd already wasted half an hour and I had to leave for a meeting.
1: Robin Weigart, Calamity Jane.
2: Calamity Jane! (laughs) Primetime Emmy nominee for her role as Calamity Jane in Deadwood. Yeah. She's had appearances in Big Little Lies, Jessica Jones, Sons of Anarchy, and American Horror Story. She's so good. Rebecca, do you have any like favorite Calamity Jane lines.
1: Oh, what's that? She just uh, tended to just be always drunk or getting over a drunken episode. <laughs> <laughs> motherfucker.
2: You got to say it like her, though, right? It's like fucking Steve. The yeah. <laughs> actual time malicious cocksucker tars every fucking drunk with his brush. I'm go to the bathroom. That's
3: right. That show was so good. I mean, it, it really was. was. It was vulgar, Why are we but talking amazing. About that show. Why are we talking about this stupid show and not that?
2: Because show? this stupid show pays the bills. Oh, that's right.
3: That's right. <laughs> I mean, not a lot of bills, but you know, every once in a while. Yeah, it doesn't really. It pays me for the tolls on the way to the doctor's <laughs> appointment. But that's about it.
2: You know, for a little role, she got the tears going, and she you did. can tell. Yeah, Kying she looks great. Man, yeah, she's awesome. C
3: O D. Robin Weigart.
2: Yeah, as she said, to be accurate to the times in Deadwood. All of the actresses had to grow out their body hair, mm. uh, which she refused to do. She didn't want to do that. Good. good for her. So, in her one nude scene where she takes a bath, do you remember that scene when she gets yes. in the window, oh, a burma snatch? Yes, uh, yes. yeah. <laughs> they gave her a merkin, of course, they yeah, did. for her underarms. <laughs>
1: <laughs> Not for
2: her. Okay. <laughs> no, I think she had, you know, a calamity bush.
1: <laughs> Faith Hill had to do that for her show too. And she complained about it. I think on um, the Kelly Clarkson show, she talked about it.
2: Her, uh, the underarms? Yeah,
1: she wouldn't wear a Merkin. Oh, okay. she, she was, she, they made her grow it out. I doubt you could mm. do that to me. I'd have to get a
2: Merkin. <laughs> yeah. Uh, we do have a Hey, It's That Guy. We do? Hey, it's that guy. Do you know the actor playing the shooter, Dennis Trope?
4: Those
0: pitch doctors at the hospital. What about them, Dennis? What did they do? They said that I should apply to nursing school.
3: I know what else he was in.
2: Okay, that's not helpful.
3: But I don't know his name, but I, 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 I know what else he was in.
2: Okay, that's Neil Huff. Five Law and Order Universe appearances. He's had roles in The Wire, The Sinner, and... He was the creepy priest from Mayor of Town. Yeah, Father Dan <laughs> in Mare of
3: Easttown. I was like, I know I know him from somewhere, and I didn't notice until until you had the bandage on his head. And then I was like, I know that face.
2: <laughs> uh, he was in the movie Spotlight. Oh, Spotlight. yeah. He's yeah. one of the
3: victims, right? <laughs> yep. Yep, 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 uh, yep. Phil
2: Saviano, uh in real life uh, an actual survivor of clergy sex abuse, Mr. Saviano. Was. He died last year. Yeah. Oh, so man. a plethora of comedic material to mine here for myself. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> not really. In an article on the website Daily Research Plot, they say have one of those things, if you like, then you, you may like, right? Okay. It says, if you like only murders in the building, you'll also like- Mayor of Easttown. <laughs> what?
4: <laughs> what?
2: I, if you, yeah, yeah, again, a plethora of comedic material to mine here. I what? could never remember the name of the show. I always
1: called it Mayor of Winningham. <laughs> I don't
2: remember.
1: <know. laughs> the only thing they have in
3: common is that Selena Gomez wears a ponytail and Kate Winslet wears a ponytail. That's like the only thing I could think of. There's no Wawa,
1: no nothing. <laughs>
2: Yeah, get a, get a glass of water.
3: Somebody water. dies in both. I mean, there's that.
2: Yeah, <laughs> get a one of it's really funny though. <laughs> hey, we've got a bunch of repeat offenders. Repeat offender got Helen Carey making the first of four appearances as the ballistic expert Charlotte Swan.
0: Once you buy the conversion kit, all you need is a screwdriver, a file, and a soldering gun. 20 minutes, you're ready to make history.
2: In one of his nine appearances on four different Law & Order shows, it's Peter Garrity as the defense attorney.
0: They told his mother he was getting medical treatment. Instead, they interrogated him, even though they've been told a lawyer was being hired.
2: You know him from Paul Blart Mall Cop Mm, and The Wire and his character on the show Homicide, slept with Munch's wife. Mm-hmm. Oh,
1: okay.
2: So it all comes around. Oh, sure it does. And Ron McClarity returns as McCoy's least favorite judge,
5: William Wright. Ugh,
2: hate that guy.
5: Mr. McCoy, you're trying to use my court to make social policy. I won't stand for it.
2: He's the worst. The worst. He's like Boo from hiss.
3: 1935, that guy. Hold Ugh. on, I'm just
2: going to say he recently passed away, so. Yes,
3: he did. He, He was the worst. Oh, he was the worst. On the show. He was a great guy. (laughs) On the show. (laughs) On
2: the show, he was a horrible judge. (laughs) character.
3: I'm sure he was a wonderful person. Right.
2: We also have David Young as the ER doctor.
5: You want to talk to someone? Try X-ray, second floor.
2: You remember, Rebecca, that he was the professional air guitar player who got banned for life from Good Morning America?
3: Okay, (laughs) I don't watch Good Morning America. You know I watch a Today Show.
2: You're not wondering why an air guitar player would get banned from network TV for his whole life. It tracks, but why? Why?
3: (laughs) Why? What happened?
2: Lastly, do you know the name of the actor playing marketing department whistleblower Victor Colby? No, no.
5: Unless Raw Firearms gives me permission, there isn't much I can tell you about my work there. Just name, rank, and serial number.
2: That's Jeff Brooks. Four Law & Order franchise appearances. He worked alongside Selena Gomez in Barney and Friends. (laughs) (laughs) Jeff played BJ, the yellow protoceratops with the Chuck Taylor high tops and the jaunty red baseball cap. Yeah. Of course, he did have that one emergency appearance as Baby Bop in Who's Who at the Zoo. Okay, so they hit this apartment where the gun had been shipped, and they find old Mrs. Leanne Coates, find her dead on her bed, <laughs> and almost immediately the next door neighbor is there.
5: Hello, excuse me.
2: Who
4: are you?
5: I'm Mrs. Felder. I live across the hall. Oh my.
0: Do you know who this is?
5: Yes, it's Lee Lee Coates.
0: Short for Leanne.
5: Yes, this
2: is
0: terrible.
2: (laughs) But no, she did not think that was terrible. (laughs) She was loving every fucking minute of that.
1: New York City old lady yenta just shows up like oh boy <laughs> ah. I always knew this would happen she what,
2: just had a pacemaker put in
3: what kind oh. of leftovers are in her fridge <laughs> can I take them I hope a
2: nice young couple moves in guess up. I
3: won't complain about the noise anymore yeah. I've been wanting this apartment so I can turn mine into a duplex forever
2: <laughs> I always hated the old hag
4: <laughs>
2: She's never, always cooking fish <laughs> <laughs> by the way, Mrs. Coates is dead for no reason. She just died. She, she just, just happened old. to die. She's old. Yeah. Yeah. Never to be seen that. or
3: heard from or talked about again. Yeah.
1: <laughs> There's a lot of stuff here that just falls by the wayside.
2: <laughs> like, oh, she's dead. Well, yeah. what's amazing? They
3: don't even assume for a second to revive her. She was murdered. <laughs> right. No. But no. Or, they don't, right. But they don't even assume. Like, they so they walk into the home of somebody. Who they immediately have to realize, and they so, smell whose, her whose yeah, identity yep. had been stolen, right? Yep. They see that she's dead. They don't even assume for a tiny second that maybe she was murdered at her by the person was, who took her identity. That's what I thought as a viewer. I'm like eighteen steps removed from this cop, guys, and I thought for like a couple minutes there that she was probably murdered. It didn't even occur to them.
2: Yeah, hmm. I mean, we'll talk about having bad luck. In one <laughs> month, all those things happened to her. <laughs> Ambulance ride, identity theft, drops dead in the middle of her bedroom. By the way, she wasn't like under the covers or anything. On was, top. Like, she just flapped over dead on the bed. That <laughs> yeah. looks suspicious. She's putting on her pantyhose or whatever. Her pantyhose. <laughs> she, 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 she exerted <laughs> too much energy putting on her girdle. Yeah. It broke it the happens. pacemaker. It does yeah. happen. It happens. That stuff's painful to put on. So now they track down one of the paramedics who brought her to the hospital, and he says that the other guy, Dennis Trope, is on disability for his nerves. And they go through some of his things, and you can tell by his old T-shirt
0: he's a misogynist. (laughs) (laughs) Don't trust anything that bleeds for five days and lives. Hilarious. We got a couple of lady paramedics working here. Dennis had a problem with that.
3: <laughs> yeah, Dennis is an
1: incel. <laughs>
2: yeah. <laughs> By the way, the EMT says you know, we've got some lady paramedics, also known as <laughs> paramedics.
1: Paramedics. paramedics. Yeah.
2: <laughs> The lady paramedics, well, yeah. you know, in
1: their pink uniforms, you know, <laughs> in their pink uniforms.
2: That's right.
3: <laughs> Someone going to lift this for me. Can I get the delicate Heimlich, please, from the lady paramedics? Oh, that's right.
2: <laughs> I want to be intubated by her. <laughs> but you know, they—that's why they need four of them to move the, to, to lift the the gurney. Why? Because they're ladies. <laughs> they're not as strong as men. That's
3: true. That's true. You know what they don't let the lady paramedic do? Drive the ambulance. Yeah, that's right. Because <laughs> everyone knows a lady paramedic can't, can't drive. drive.
1: Susan, <laughs> <laughs> so we got to get to the hospital.
2: <laughs> <laughs> Jesus. <laughs> Step on it. <laughs> So uh after a foot chase that obviously doesn't include Briscoe!
0: <laughs> <laughs> oh, no, no. Don't do that. Don't do that.
4: Stay
2: me! Oh, Trope is at a standoff on the street corner, which is broken up by an asshole rollerblader who isn't watching where she's going. <laughs> <Man. laughs> it's great. Yeah. Women are bitches there, Dennis. You're
3: right. If only we could drive, then we wouldn't have to rollerblade everywhere. Yeah, you can't rollerblade
2: either. <laughs> Just goes around the corner doesn't see a guy with a gun to his own head. Nope. Whoops. Nope. Boom. <laughs> and certainly if Dennis had that same helmet, he wouldn't have gotten all those bruises and mm. would have been bloodied. Yeah. So this is our, ch- our chance to get our first look at Ed Green. Oh, yeah. Like mm-hmm. always, the old detective doesn't really like the new detective at first. I-,
0: I do. <laughs> yeah, it was <laughs> fine by me. Hey, old spice. What did the Lou tell you about me? Nothing. Did she tell
5: you I don't like nicknames? Yeah. Yeah plenty will do.
2: (laughs) So what do we know when he comes in? We know that his nickname is Fast Eddie, who loves to gamble and has two excessive force complaints. He likes to push back on Van Buren. He's a go-getter. He'll chase the guy. He takes the stairs. He can't wait for the elevator. (laughs) So how much does episode one, Ed Green, look like the eventual Ed Green that we know and love?
3: Ed Green can always run. Yep. Yes, Ed Green is always gorgeous. Yep, and Ed Green is always like funny with Briscoe. I mean, yeah. he calls him Old Spice. Like
1: in scene two, it's fantastic, and he doesn't let up. He never stops doing that kind of stuff. I love it. They trade quips right away. They have kind of like a, have a rhythm going. I, the it's funny because they mentioned the gambling here. Like it's very yeah. casual. Like, oh, you were in AC. What were you doing there? Oh, I like to play poker.
0: Where were you, Atlantic City? Mm hmm. Went down there last night to play some poker. Oh yeah. How'd you do? I started up a Cadillac. I finished down a Rolex. Stainless steel Rolex.
1: And this is the reason years later that they let him go. Right. And I was yeah. like, who cares? Keep him on. Like, I yeah, I don't care if I have a cop that his poker. He's just so delicious to look at. Yeah.
2: Yeah. yeah. He was up a Cadillac and then down a Rolex. Uh, uh,
1: stainless, though. It wasn't that bad.
2: <laughs> yeah. <laughs> That's
1: true.
3: In 99, that was only like three, four grand. It's fine. Yeah. Uh,
2: they do have him sort of all over the place. He has. He starts off and he's... He's hugging a crying witness who, by the way, just rushed through a crime scene, and picked up right. a body to start hugging it.
1: And his face was right next to hers, like when he was like giving her, which I wouldn't complain either. But it was like nope. it's a it was a super, very close moment.
3: And and Briscoe was looking at him like, what are you what doing? What is this humanity that you are doing? No, we don't do that. <laughs>
2: I thought you had excessive force complaints against yeah, you.
3: Exactly. <laughs> Not from the ladies. Yeah. Excess, excessive love force. Inexcessive force.
2: The hug force. Yes. Uh, would you like me to frisk you, ma'am? Yes. Yes, you would. I'm good with Let that. Let me put these cuffs on you.
3: I would give it a okay. prime on Purpose. That's all I got to say.
1: Murder, apparently.
3: (laughs) (laughs) I don't even like cops, but I like that one.
2: Interrogation. Does this mean you're going to talk to me for hours? (laughs) 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 Yeah, so he does some kind of things. I mean, I think all the characters when they came in, there was a little bit of sort of Futsing with them till they find out who they really are. I mean, Briscoe comes on, there's kind of implications that maybe he's on the take a little bit or he likes to break some of the rules. In addition to being snarky, they keep the snarky part. Uh, you know, same thing with Fontana. And here with Green as well. Mm-hmm. And by the way, Curtis, judgmental asshole. Yes. Kind of stays that way. Yes. A mm-hmm. little less judgmental, but you know he's still a moralistic judgmental asshole. So they come back like in the Logan days. They've got another wild card here. He does hold the crying witness. He likes to, you know, he'll work after hours. He comes in early. But he also sticks a gun in Trope's face to demand a (laughs) confession. In the street. In the street in front of everybody. (laughs) Exactly. Before they had phone cameras, obviously. Exactly. Exactly. So when physical force doesn't work, he'll use psychological force to get his confession.
5: You tell us what you did. There's no trial. No jury, no death penalty. Please, man, please.
0: Don't let them do this to you. Don't let them win. You tried hard to be a good man. And did they give you the respect you deserve? We
2: didn't see that kind of scene nearly enough during his seven and a half years on this show. He just, and it's this is on Jesse L. Martin. He's just great at delivering those lines.
1: Jesse L. Martin's a great actor. He's a very good actor. That's a tough scene to come across because he's trying to get this guy like, you know, isn't isn't this person a bitch? And isn't he like, look at this old man I have to look, you know, talk to. And aren't women terrible? Blah, 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 blah. And the guy, he's just so convincing. The guy's like, yeah, I know. Right. Yeah, (laughs) I did it.
2: (laughs) And then uh, Green like puts his hand on his cheek as he's talking to him and kind of stroking his cheek and. It's a good thing that he's only a misogynist and not a racist and a homophobe, that probably wouldn't have gone over so well.
3: It's a good thing that the guy doesn't remember that this is the cop who just had his gun in his face and was (laughs) screaming at him to confess, because then he might think, huh, maybe I'm being tricked here. Yeah. It would have worked better to have Briscoe do this, I have to say, just in terms of the scripting.
2: Yeah. So he's basically saying you're both the good cop and the bad cop. (laughs) Exactly.
5: (laughs) (laughs)
2: Now let's look at the second half of this episode. Well, because the cops questioned Dennis Trope when they knew his attorney was coming, the judge suppresses his confession and the bloody close. McCoy and Carmichael lean on Van Buren to help connect the weapon to the crime. Well,
5: since the rifling was scratched up, ballistics can only give us a 50% matchup from the weapon to the slugs.
0: That's reasonable doubt. Don't we have rocket scientists on the payroll?
5: Well, they say they can recreate the rifling on the computer, but they need technical data from the gunmaker, Raw Firearms. Okay. Well, the company's ignored all of our requests so far.
2: Briscoe and Green find the guy who sold trope everything he needed to modify his gun to shoot automatically – and learned that the company won't make its Ralph 9 tamper-proof. Because the gunmaker won't provide the information needed to make McCoy's case, Schiff says, Ah, got him a deal. (laughs) (laughs) And (laughs) Trope takes a plea of 25 to life. McCoy, who apparently doesn't have enough to do, files charges against the Ralph CEO for criminally negligent homicide. Asshole Judge William Wright says Jack is trying to make social policy and dismisses the charges, but McCoy convinces an appeals court to overturn that ruling and give them a trial. The asshole judge declares in order to convict the CEO, the state has to prove that Trope used the Ralph 9 as it was intended. The prosecutors learned Ralph's marketing department knew if they made the gun tamper-proof, their sales would drop by 40%, ergo, the gun was intended to be modified. At trial... Defense lawyers say, well, you can't blame the company for a nation full of bad apples. The jury convicts the executive on 15 murder charges, but wait. The asshole judge sets the conviction aside, saying the people didn't meet its burden. He says the jury's verdict is based on emotion, not on the law. <sighs>
3: Is it because they were lesbians? <laughs>
5: is this
1: because I'm a lesbian?
5: No, she's not, not a lesbian. <laughs>
2: well, look, they say the first half of Law & Order is a murder mystery, and the second half is a moral mystery. Now, they do make somewhat quick work of Dennis Trope, and speaking of tropes... McCoy now wants to go after the corporation behind someone's crime.
5: Again.
3: <laughs> Again,
2: I'm holding you accountable, too.
3: Just like that other time I held that other corporation accountable. Uh, baby
2: food and things like that. Adam's Pharmaceuticals. His, his head's wiggling. His, let's sue the Bush administration. <laughs> bring him in. Just bring him in. I- we don't have enough to do
1: around here. Adam Schiff just reminds me of like Jacob Marley, the way he kind of just he's so old at this point and just kind of like shuffling around. I mean, bless his heart.
5: Because the jury might want to acquit rather than send an innocent man to death row. That subpoena hasn't been quashed yet. Yes, that's why now might be the time to make your best deal with Trump.
2: I can't believe Schiff, who's like so eager to just get deals and get these murder cases done, is like, sure, spend the next four months appealing <laughs> this crazy thing where we're gonna send a CEO to jail, maybe Mr. Weber.
3: Maybe they won't be in my office anymore. Maybe that's why he lets him do it.
2: Drinking all my scotch. <laughs> so at the time, 1999, when this episode came out, you could sue a gun manufacturer. Then it wasn't until 2005 that Congress gave them general immunity, but. Uh, gun manufacturers may be held liable for what's called negligent entrustment It's when they have reason to know a gun is intended for use in a crime. So as far as rip from the headlines, that's as far as we're going on that. Mm-hmm. But we still need to see the obligatory both sides of the debate scene. With Abby and Jack about the Second Amendment? Yep. (laughs)
1: Responsible adults can own firearms without the entire country sinking into criminal anarchy. What's
0: the point? Maybe when the Redcoats were coming over Bunker Hill.
1: How about somebody six foot five coming through my door? The people have a right to defend themselves. Margo,
2: do you think that they do this because you have to have tension and conflict if you're going to have a drama? Or is this an acknowledgement that people of different political stripes watch the show?
1: I'd say it's like a little of column A and column B. Mm-hmm. And I think we all just like to see Abby Carmichael just get her, you know, get her back against the wall and just like, oh, no, 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 no. This is how I feel and you're not going to define me. And I, you know, she liked her guns. She liked the death penalty. I, This is, you know, she was a badass.
2: Can't take the Texas out of the girl.
1: No, no. It, she, it, is, it is so funny that she's my favorite because we don't agree on anything. I don't agree with her on anything, <laughs> but I adore her. I would love to be her assistant. She could yell at me all day. I'd be like, yeah.
2: okay. Now, I know you kept thinking, like, who is Ralph?
1: Because uh, <laughs> it's
2: the name of the gun, Ralph, Ralph, R-O-L-F. So Jack and Abby tracked down the former marketing guy for Ralph who got let go. They learned how sales were tied to allowing the guns to be modified. It's an internal memo about the survey. The company concluded that making the
5: Rolf 9 tamper proof would reduce sales by almost 40%. It was cheaper to settle any lawsuits than to change the design.
2: And although he's at a new job, Mr. Colby has all the incriminating paperwork right Right there. (laughs) In a folder. (laughs) I'm just going to open this drawer where I keep all the nasty stuff. Yeah.
1: It's under the file that is secret. Right over there. (laughs) I have a confession to
3: make. Yeah. When I worked in my office, I did have a file like that. Like, (laughs) shit on people, like file in my desktop from
2: your previous jobs?
3: No, just like stuff about people who were like ne'er do wells at work, like that I like if I ever so if anyone ever asked me, I could be like, I've got it right here. Oh I'm not gonna lie, I kinda did. I kinda did that. And one when I moved my desk, I had to go in a few months ago to move my desk, I I found the file and I was like, Can you imagine if somebody like riffled through here just to sort of see what I
2: (laughs) (laughs) She's angry.
3: LaVoy is a psychopath. Because all those people, by the way, they don't work there anymore. Yeah, no, they would take your <laughs>
2: file, put it in their file. This
1: guy didn't sign my birthday card. Fuck him. <laughs>
2: yeah. <laughs> but remember, this means that Mr. Colby, like, left the old job, got in one of those banker boxes, yep. started putting all of his awards in, and then and it's like, well, which files am I going to take? I'm going to take these. He brought them home, and then is going to his new job and said, I need to bring in all my photos, the f- and then also these files. Yes. Also, this one piece of staple paper. That's right. By the way, did I tell you I also worked for the cigarette company? <laughs>
3: <laughs> <laughs> this epic can we just acknowledge the fact this episode was, was aired just a few months after the Columbine massacre? And like, that's ballsy. Ballsy. Yeah, that happened
2: in the spring before. That happened in
3: April of 99. And this yeah. episode aired in September really? of 99. That is some ballsy programming. I don't think that it would happen today necessarily.
2: Look, I have to admit- who knows between the time we put this down on tape and the time this goes right. out to the world, You're what right. mass shooting is going to happen. Right. The only way we can be fairly confident it's not a school shooting is that we're doing this in August. That's true. You're right. absolutely
3: right. They probably, who am I kidding? They probably would air uh, because there's so many mass shootings now that you can't, you How can't do you, not. Yeah. Unfortunately, yeah. You're right. You're absolutely mm-hmm. right. You're absolutely right.
2: So at his closing argument, McCoy wants to use some props to demonstrate the firepower of a modified semi-automatic. So he pours the bullets all over the floor.
0: Because of Mr. Weber's refusal to change the design of his gun, instead of firing this many bullets... In the 30 seconds that he pulled the trigger, Dennis Trope was able to fire this many... You know, they had to shoot that scene
2: at least three different times. Move the camera out a couple different angles. And when they do the close up, you can see the table all dented to shit. <laughs> <laughs> they thought this would be great and we'll just dump it and clunk, 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 They ruined it. Mm. All the grips came in, they were pissed off. They had to re they had to resand sand it.
3: Yeah. <laughs> it would made a good sound though. I was thinking like Jack would be a good like podcast producer.
2: Yeah. It's like the yeah.
3: demonstration of numbers. Right?
2: Yeah. Everybody who's listening said that was a great cut, Kevin. Yeah, it's really good. Yeah. Now, I call Judge Wright the asshole judge because he's always at odds with McCoy. Mm. Uh, he set aside the conviction of three guys who raped a mentally disabled teenager. Because oh, my
0: God. The girl said yes. She has the mind of a child.
5: Well, she's mature enough to be plenty intrigued by her own sexuality. Face it, counselor. She had the time of her life. Case dismissed.
2: She had the time of her life, Mr. McCoy. Uh. Later on in the series, uh, Lewin has a a nasty confrontation with him about his animus towards McCoy. But again, in this time, we see uh, that after winning a conviction, Wright sets aside the verdict because he's not down for the
5: politics. Therefore, I'm setting aside the jury verdict and issuing a directed verdict of not guilty. The defendant is free to go.
2: Objection. Order. Order. I am filing notice of the people's intent to appeal.
5: This is outside the scope of your authority. Mr. McCoy, I'm not going to sanction a verdict that can't possibly be sustained on appeal.
3: Okay, this is total bullshit, and here's why. Yeah. The verdict could be set aside because he didn't let in the evidence that Mm -hmm. would have made the verdict totally legitimate. The evidence that showed that the gun manufacturer knew that their sales were dependent on the gun being allowed to be modified to commit crimes. That was the piece of evidence that would have made the verdict completely legitimate that like their sales would dip by 40 percent if we made it safe. That was the evidence. And this fucking judge (laughs) didn't let it in. So this judge, by the way, knew that this gun manufacturer sold a product that they knew would be used in crimes in order to boost their sales. And yet he set aside a verdict that a jury made without that one piece of evidence that he kept out.
5: Until we cure what ails the human heart, we won't make a dent in the body count. In the meantime, no matter how profound our grief, I can't let you use this court to raise a lynch mob. I won't allow you to exploit the same base passions Mr. Weber counts on to beef up his bottom line. It's not about being right, Mr. McCoy. It's about Doing
2: right, Mr. McCoy. It's not about being right. I am. It's about doing right. I am beside myself. (laughs) You know what the worst part of having that conviction overturned like that? What? McCoy had to stick around, pick up all those bullets.
5: (laughs) Caesars Sportsbook is the only sportsbook app with Caesars Rewards.
2: This episode is inspired by the mass shooting at the Ecole Polytechnique in Montreal. It's time for RIP from the Headlines.
0: You think you know who did it. You think you know who did it. But you don't know who did it. You don't know who did
4: it. RIP from the Headlines. In December 1989, Marc Lepien entered the engineering school with a rifle and hunting knife hidden in his clothes. After roaming the building, he entered a classroom of about 60 students. At gunpoint, he divided the class, placing all the men on one side and all the female students on the other side of the room. He told them he hated feminists, but the women said they were just students. Le Pien then shot them one by one before fleeing into the hallway. For the next 20 minutes, he prowled the building, targeting mostly women in the corridors, the escalator, the cafeteria and another classroom. He stabbed a wounded student who asked for help. Then the shooter turned the gun on himself. Le Pien killed 14 women and injured 14 other students in what became known as the Montreal Massacre. Activists said the tragedy shined a light on violence against women in Canada. The crime led to new restrictions on firearms in the nation and spawned new procedures for police to engage active shooters. Each year, on the anniversary of the massacre, Canadians observe White Ribbon Day, which raises awareness of violence against women. <laughs>
1: New Bond what? New what's?
2: What? New
4: awareness of
2: violence against women.
3: And new what's before that? <laughs> new what regulations again?
2: Well, okay.
1: <laughs> Amazing. And then, uh, then they gave us Jordan Peterson. <laughs>
2: <laughs> so what did Canada do when it set its mind to addressing firearms? All restricted and prohibited firearms are registered. All gun owners must possess a license. 28-day waiting period. After a 2020 mass shooting in Nova Scotia, Prime Minister Justin Trudeau announced a ban on military-grade assault weapons. And after the Uvalde, Texas shooting in Texas, Canada started an assault weapons buyback plan. So why can't we do that?
3: Oh, come on. (laughs) You know why. (laughs) come on yeah you know why you know why
2: I know why you want to get
3: emails really you really want to solicit those emails right now (laughs) come
2: on you know
3: why because we can't because we can't because money and politics and campaign finance reform will never happen in this country. And that is why we can't. And because people have bought a line that was sold to them in the 1980s about what gun ownership means, about what the Second Amendment means, which it does not actually mean and it does not actually say. And it is sad. It is very, very sad that we have come to equate freedom with something that is killing people. Mm-hmm. Uh, but that is true. And um, if you need a gun in an emergency situation and you can't wait a few days... I guess that's your right in America. So cool.
2: Now, Margo, I got all of my facts about Canadian firearm regulations from the Internet. So I apologize to our Canadian friends for everything I might have messed up. (laughs) But these are some statistics. About 22 percent of Canadian households have a firearm. 44 percent of U.S. households have a firearm. Less than 3 percent of Canadian households have a handgun. In the U.S., 3% of households own 50% of the guns in this country. And though being 3% of the world's population, America owns about half of all the privately owned guns in the world. Now, talking about Canada versus the U.S. here, it seems to me that that demonstrates like the Canadian culture is largely about hunting and sportsmanship Mm -hmm. and self-defense, but versus a culture of self-defense and quite frankly... Offense
3: and, and collection, fear. some would say,
2: and collection,
3: some would say, gun collecting is also an American passion. Sure, down. I mean, yes. a lot of
2: reasons, it's a broad brush, but I find it interesting that 97% of the firearms owned in Canada are rifles. Mm-hmm. So, as opposed to like, you don't have statistically the same amount of people walking around with a gun hidden in their back pocket, yep. right? Right, it's a different mindset, but it's also an indication. And in a lot of other countries, Australia, New Zealand. Mm-hmm. If you want to do something to seriously address certainly military style weapons in civilian hands. That is a gimme. Total Mm -hmm.
3: gimme. Yep. In my opinion, that's a gimme.
2: Okay, so gender played a role in this tragedy first off. Surprise. The targets were all women. More precisely, women perceived to be thriving in a man's world. Margot, does that sound like this guy is an incel before we had that term? (laughs) He's the guy, like I would say, like he would be someone
1: I would go on a date with and then he'd say, you know, Jordan Peterson, Joe Rogan, boy, they've got like some really interesting ideas and I would just <laughs> turn into a bu- bunch of dust. I would just like leave right away.
3: Yeah. Think about how many men there were and how many women were there in that room. How many men were there? How many men were there? Did he say that?
2: Well, it was like 51. And How
3: many men? Nine how many women? Nine. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's not like women were dominating this space. No, no.
2: He went in specifically looking. (laughs) He just existed.
3: Like, men are still doing fine, man. Men are still doing fine. They're still dominating this engineering space. I think you're doing fine if you want to be a misogynist. Just fine.
2: Well, in an odd twist, the public criticized the men who were there for not confronting the shooter, as in, it would have been the chivalrous thing to do.
3: It would have been the brave
2: thing to do, Mm -hmm. for sure. Yeah, not
1: everyone's brave in the moment.
3: Yeah.
2: Yeah. Hey, you, mister, why don't you go and attack the man with the gun him? You know, Right. <laughs> uh, you know. I think that's when guys say. You know, actually, I'd like to check my privilege this time.
3: But you know what? That's actually what uh, we had a security training at work that mm-hmm. was really shocking to me because the security trainers did say if somebody enters a crowded room with a gun, that's what you're supposed to do is the crowd is supposed to charge that person. And I was like no (laughs) I mean but that's also by the way a thing that somebody has to tell you that you are supposed to do in that situation Claude Guy come on follow me we go after him perhaps perhaps statistically that gives the most people the best chance of survival like statistically in terms Hmm. of numbers I don't think it gives the person who is charging the person with the semiotic weapon automatic weapon the best chance of survival but we see
2: again I mean we're looking in the news recently he had he was around for 20 minutes yeah, walking right. around. The cops realized afterwards, yeah, you have to go in as fast as you can. You can't give him the time because you will continue to kill him. That did not happen in Texas.
3: It did not happen at all in Texas. Yeah. No. I mean,
2: we can be angry about a lot of these different shootings in Buffalo and- There's too many to list. Yeah, yeah. In any Honestly. other city. But, I mean, I think that's one of the enraging things that happened in Texas was that- you know, they just didn't know what to do or they knew what to do and they, and they didn't, didn't act. It. And they yeah. didn't do
1: it and they are armed to the teeth. Yes. You know, ever since 9-11, cops everywhere across the country have been asking for these kinds of military grade weapons because they're going to get attacked. I, my parents lived near Reno for many years and the cops there were requesting ARs for, I don't know what, but they were armed and they, and they did have the training. They just, they lacked the courage in the moment and then all these kids died.
2: It's infuriating. So firearms might be hard to get in Canada, but you know what isn't? What? Absinthe. Oh, it's true. (laughs) Rebecca, tell us about your experience drinking absinthe in Montreal. Really? You want to hear about that? This was a different Montreal massacre. Yes. (laughs) Yes. Kevin and I
3: went to Montreal for Thanksgiving a couple years ago. We had a wonderful time. We stayed in the wonderful Lowe's Hotel in downtown Montreal. Wonderful bar there. One night they had a special cocktail. We made it a practice to drink the special cocktail every night and have some oysters. The one night we were there, the special cocktail had absinthe in it, which is illegal in the United States. And I was like, I'm sure it's great. I'll try it. Whatever. It was not... Not for me. Not great. Uh, it was. Whoa, a, you
2: started to see rainbows? It was an or... Alice in
3: Wonderland experience. Oh, no, 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 no. Immediately. Immediately. It was pretty extraordinary, actually. She, I, I'll never forget it. She, never.
2: She thought Jesse L. Martin was sitting next to her. <laughs> Only. She was
3: making out with a give shadow. Give me another. If that were the case, <laughs> give me another, barkeep. Slide it on down.
2: That's what he said. Uh, <laughs> that's going to do it for us. We want to thank our guest, Margo Donahue. Margo, where can our listeners follow you online? You can find me on Twitter and Instagram at Brooklyn Fitchick and on the TikTok at
1: Margot Donahue. And my site is brooklynfitchick.com.
2: And Rebecca Lavoy, how can our listeners follow you?
3: On Twitter and Instagram, you can find me at Reb Lavoy.
2: And you can track me on Twitter at Kevin P. Flynn. You can also tweet to us at Law & Order Pod or follow us on Instagram at These Are Their Stories Podcast. Our newsreader was Cy Freider. Our theme music was composed and performed by Uncanny Valleys. Content assistance from Travis Roy. Lily Flynn handles promotions. To get ad-free episodes of These Are Their Stories a week early, sign up for Stitcher Premium. All clips in this podcast were used in compliance with U.S. Copyrights Act Fair Use Exemption for criticism and commentary. Go to LawAndOrderPodcast.com and sign up for our newsletter for a chance to be our next Law & Order Marathon winner. These are their stories Was recorded in the yoga loft above the bodega in Bay St. Louis, Mississippi studio and is a production of Partners in Crime Media. Partners
5: Partners in in Crime media. Media.